Good morning, family. I invite you to take your Bibles again, if you would, this morning and open to the book of Proverbs as we continue in a wonderful, wonderful series in this little book. There are so many things that we're in this brief little time we're spending in Proverbs that we, we don't get to touch on. So I'm just going to give a couple again, a couple of little highlights of some little Proverbs that I think are just particularly colorful. Like this one. Starting a quarrel is like breaching a dam. So drop the matter before a dispute breaks out. When a dam breaks, not much good happens. And uh, you're not sure exactly what's going to happen, but it's going to be a mess. And so he says, just don't get into a quarrel. Drop it before it turns into a fight. Here's another good one. It is better to live in a desert than with a quarrelsome and fretful woman. <laughs> Which I, of course, don't know by experience at all. Or this one. Grandchildren are the crown of the aged. We're in chapter 11 of the book of Proverbs, and our focus this morning is money. If money could talk, what would your money say? Would your money say, save me, or spend me, or bye-bye, <laughs> maybe? Most people find that finances, at least occasionally, are a, a challenging aspect of life. Many folks find money to be a continual struggle. It's one of the top two things experts tell us that married couples argue about. Dealing with finances calls for wisdom, and so it's only natural that as Solomon is laying out here in this book, wisdom that is skill to live well, it gives tons of practical advice about money and wealth and finances. Such things as this, Proverbs 28.19, He who works his land will have abundant food. But the one who chases fantasies will have his fill of poverty. A faithful man will be richly blessed, but one eager to get rich will not go unpunished. In other words, hard work pays off, but the chasing the get-rich scheme, uh, latest get-rich fad, the trying to somehow strike it big will almost always end in financial disaster. Proverbs 21, verse 20 says, In the house of the wise there are stores of choice food and oil, but a foolish man devours all he has. Put it in modern terminology, spend less than you make. <laughs> Always live on less than you make. Don't use all you have. Similar to that, Proverbs 6, 6 says, Go to the ant, O sluggard, and consider its ways and be wise. Verse 6, it says it stores its provision in summer and gathers its food at harvest. Not only don't consume all you, all you make, don't not just live on less than you make, but save. Save for, as the old folks used to say, for a rainy day. Save for retirement. Save for problems. Learn from the ant. Proverbs 22, verse 7 says, The rich rule over the poor, 
And the borrower is servant to the lender. A message that most Americans need to hear as we are swallowed in debt. Avoid debt, he says. In a very real way, when you go into debt, when you borrow money, you, you sell yourself, as it were, into slavery to pay back whatever it is you borrow. We as a culture need to hear that and I, our national leaders need to hear that as overall our con- country goes more and more into debt. Tons of practical advice in, in this book on money. We're just going to go this morning, though, back to chapter 11. We were in chapter 11 last week as we looked at a different matter, as we looked at integrity, but this morning we're coming back to chapter 11 to look at money, wealth. By the way, as we look at wealth, we're not going to talk about how to get wealthy. Okay, There was one of the great, uh, most wealthy people actually in the world's history, a guy named John D. Rockefeller, a hundred years ago, was regarded as the richest man in the world and still is perhaps his net worth, inflation adjusted, worth more than the richest people today. John Rockefeller gave three simple steps to getting wealthy. He said, get up early and go to work. Secondly, stay late at work. Thirdly, find oil. <laughs> Seriously, we're not looking at getting wealthy again, but about being wealthy successfully. See, the truth is, we in this room most likely are all wealthy. I know some folks in our church are going through difficult times, and you may be one who's struggling financially. But we all have clothes. As I look around, that's a good thing. We all, I think, have beds to sleep in. I doubt that any one of us is going to bed hungry tonight because there is simply no food to eat. If that's the case, we can help you out today. See us after after the service. We've got food. We are not as rich as we'd like to be, but none of us are truly poor. Last week I was speaking after the service with uh, Deanna Brandt who just got back from Africa. She was there for a couple of weeks and uh, she said after what she had seen, she commented to me last week, she said, no one in this country really knows what it is to be poor. There's a lot of truth to that. In fact, I read recently that it only takes an annual income for a, for four people, a family of four, an annual income, total income before taxes of $50,000 to make it into the 7% richest people in the world. In other words, 12500 per person puts you in the 7% richest people in the world. So I'm pretty confident when I say that I'm looking out at some of the richest people in the world. We find that hard to believe, but it's the reality. And so, my aim this morning as we look here in chapter 11 is to find a few truths about wealth that will help us to live successfully as rich people. 
They're not, by the way, as is most of Proverbs, it's not long sections of teaching on any one subject, but as we've noted, it's little little lines, couplets, just a couple of things here and there. And, and uh, they're here in chapter 11 like berries on a bush. If they're not all together, you got to go and look and kind of pull the leaves of the other Proverbs away and there you'll find a nugget about wealth and you'll find another one over here. And so we're just going to grab a few here from chapter 11. The first thing I want us to notice this morning is that Proverbs here calls for you and me to not hope in wealth. In other words, don't make wealth, don't make riches, don't make money our aim, don't, don't make it our, our, you know, our focal point in our life. Verse 4 here of chapter 11 says, Riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. First thing for us to understand why we don't, we shouldn't hope in wealth, why we shouldn't make it our aim or our goal is that riches are useless when it comes to eternity. In the day of wrath, in the day of judgment, when death comes and there is, the scripture says, a judgment, it is appointed to man once to die and after that comes the judgment, scripture says. No amount of riches will be of any help. Note, it doesn't say that being rich condemns anyone. It doesn't say that there's anything wrong with wealth. It's just that at death, it's totally useless. Worthless. Only righteousness, it says, is of any value to deliver someone from death and judgment. I didn't even think about this till a moment ago as I was how my grandkids, my little grand granddaughters, grandson, they're so excited when they see a penny. They go, Money <laughs> And you're and you you're just you know, they're so excited they think if they get a handful of pennies they are rich. And as adults we look at that we just laugh. But how it is, you see, for you and me when we look at silver and gold and bank accounts and yachts and mansions and stuff and we think we're rich. And he says, it's useless. When death comes, and it will, it is of no value whatsoever. Riches are useless regarding eternity. Second thing, look down to verse 16. Interesting thing, it says, and violent men, just look at the second half of the verse, it says, and violent men get riches. It isn't saying it's a good thing, but as much as Proverbs does, much of Proverbs just lays it out there, here's the way it is. As it says, the rich rule over the poor. If you're poor, guess what? You're going to have a bunch of rich people telling you what to do. And he says, Violent men get riches. It's not good, but a fact of life. Bad guys get rich. Criminals prosper. Some of them live in mansions. They have Ferraris and private jets. Is that not the truth? But look down to verse 18. Verse 18 says, 
The wicked man earns deceptive wages. Deceptive wages. Ill-gotten gain is attractive because the bad guys appear to win. And they appear to win big. But it's a lie. Look at the second half of verse 18. He who pursues evil will die. There's a judgment day coming. Verse 7. Look at verse 7. When the wicked dies, his hope will perish and his expectation of wealth perishes also. The bad guys appear to win. Wicked men seem to prosper. Wicked men get riches. They seem to win, but they eventually will die. And when they die, any expectation of wealth is gone because go back to point one. Riches are useless in eternity. And so understand that point two is that wealth can be deceptive. After saying that the deceptive that the wicked man earned deceptive wages, verse 18 continues, but he who sows righteousness reaps a sure reward. Verse 19 goes on, whoever is steadfast in righteousness will live. So wealth isn't inherently bad, but beware, because wealth can deceitfully and dangerously paint a very pretty face on godless living. See, we, we tend to think of wickedness as being as bad as someone can be. Wickedness is being a drug runner. Wickedness is being a pimp. You know, wickedness is being whatever. But wickedness is simply godless living. And it's possible to be a good upstanding citizen and live godlessly and live wickedly and have your hope in riches because it just seems like living godlessly pays off. You see, wealth can be deceptive. The only thing that delivers in the end is righteousness. So don't put your hope in wealth because riches are useless in regards to eternity and wealth can be deceptive. And in verse 28, notice another reason why we shouldn't put our hope and our focus on wealth. Verse 28 says, Whoever trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like a green leaf. Wealth can let you down. Wealth is not dependable. Wealth is not secure. You've probably noticed that. Wealth can be lost in a market collapse. Wealth can be lost because of theft. Wealth can be lost through natural disaster, through fire, through war. It can be gone in an instant. Even if you have insurance, you can lose it all. Trusting in wealth, he says, ultimately leads to disaster, but righteous living, he says, leads to life. Proverbs 18.11 says something very similar to this. It says this, a rich man's wealth is his strong city, like a high wall in his imagination. We have to go back into that time period and how are you protected from marauding bands and, and other, other 
strong people who come in and try to take your stuff. Well, you have a, a fortified city. You've got a condo, you see, in the, in the city that protected by the fortress around it, the high wall. And so wealth is a man's strong city. It's his fortress. I'm safe inside the walls. But notice it says, in his imagination. Rich people imagine their wealth as an impregnable fortress. And they're safe. As long as I've got a good job, as long as I've got bank accounts and a house and an investment portfolio and insurance to back it all up, I'm secure. But it's just imagination. Well, that's depressing. But Proverbs 18.11 has a verse right before it. Verse 10, and notice what it says. It says this, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and is safe. Wealth is not dependable. Wealth is not security. But there is security in life. It's not in stuff. It's in a person. It's in a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's in relationship with the God who is the Creator of the universe. And in Him, we find security. It says in His name. In other words, in His character. In all He is, in relationship with Him, there is where we find security. If you're here this morning and trying to find security in anything or anyone else, it's a losing proposition. God calls for you to have a relationship with Him through Jesus Christ. Trust Jesus as your Savior. And only there do you find security. The Apostle Paul says really the same thing to us in 1 Timothy chapter 6. He says, Command those who are rich in this present world, that's us, not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Don't trust in our stuff. Not only don't trust in it, don't put our hope in it. Don't put our, our stock in that. Don't put our value there. Put our value and our hope and our trust in a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. It is He who provides us with all we need. So wealth, first truth about it for us to learn is we should not put our hope in wealth. Don't put our trust there. Don't put our value there. The second big truth I want us to see about wealth here is, is in verse 24. One man gives freely, it says, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. Wealth brings to us opportunity. First, it gives us opportunity to honor the Lord through our giving. When we have income, we have opportunity to give to the Lord. That's why we have, by the way, an offering every Sunday. It's not because we just want to collect your money. It's giving every one of us an opportunity to give to the Lord. Proverbs 3, 9 to 10 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. 
Scripture says it is our privilege to worship God. And one of the ways we do that is to give to Him where He allows us in His grace to participate in what He's doing in the world. I can speak from personal experience that Janet and I made it before we got married, we made giving to the Lord a commitment and a priority in our marriage. We found it to be a joy to worship Him through giving. We've also found it to be a reality that God always meets our needs. Give generously, Scripture says. Give joyfully, Scripture says. Give proportionately, Scripture says, to how God has blessed us. Give sacrificially, Scripture says. And I can speak Again, from experience, it is a blessing and a joy. One of the greatest privileges that we have to honor the Lord with our giving. It goes on, verse 25, you'll see there in chapter 11, and says, Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and one who waters himself will be watered. I like the way the NIV translates this. It says, A generous man will prosper. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. Besides giving to the Lord, wealth gives us opportunity to be generous with those who have needs, with those who are poor, with those who are hurting. And again, not only when we do that do we bless those who have needs, but it returns a blessing back to us. I think most of you have understood that and you've seen that. When you help someone who is in need, you find that you get much more back than you gave in terms of joy and satisfaction in meeting a need. Earlier last week, we were in, we were in the same chapter and up in verse 10, we were looking at it, as we were looking at the subject of integrity, we noticed this. It says there in verse 10 that when righteous people prosper, the city rejoices, and when the wicked perish, there are shouts of joy. One of the reasons that the city rejoices when righteous people prosper is because righteous people, people who are living right, are people who are generous. And people who are generous are giving out of their prosperity and out of their wealth. And so, when we as rich people share our resources with those who have need, One of the things that happen is those that have need rejoice when we prosper because when we prosper, they prosper. Interesting. A generous person then is typically highly esteemed in a community. Proverbs 19.7 says, He who is kind to the poor lends to the Lord and He will reward him for what He has done. Not only are those who are generous to the needy esteemed highly in the community, but it says God rewards those who are kind to the needy, to the poor. Again, read from 1 Timothy 6 a moment ago, the Apostle Paul continues as he writes to the rich people. That's us. (laughs) And he says this, command them, the rich folks, to do good, to be rich in good deeds. To be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. 
Wealth brings opportunity for us to be especially generous. And when we are generous, we end up being blessed ourselves in this life. But he says here, not only in this life, but we end up storing up treasure in eternity. Isn't that amazing? He says, take what you have when you're rich. Take what you have and be generous with it to those who are in need because not only do you, do you find a blessing in this life, but you lay up treasure in heaven, he says, so that you can take hold of a life that is really life. Again, so we're not like my little grandkids who are impressed with the pennies that we have that really are of little value or no value and where the treasure that really matters is the treasure in heaven. That's what Jesus said. Don't store up treasures on earth where moth and rust corrupt. Thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. How do we do that? Well, Proverbs as well as Paul here writing to, to Timothy tells us one of the ways we do that is we, we give. We give to the Lord and we give to the needy. We lay up treasure in heaven. You know, one of the saddest Realities I've seen in statistic after statistic is that those who have the least tend to give proportionately the most. Those who have the most tend to give proportionately less than those who have little. As some of the richest people in the world, we ought to be giving proportionately the most because we've been given the most. There's another thing here to learn about wealth, principle of wealth. Here in verse 26, it says, The people curse him who holds back grain, but blessing is on the head of him who sells it. And you scratch your head and go, huh? Doesn't necessarily mean a whole lot to us because most of us don't live in an agricultural society. But one of the greatest commodities that they had in that day and in an agricultural society is grain. And when the man who is rich, who has lots of grain, hoards grain, guess what happens? He affects tremendously the market. It's like monopoly. When the rich guy hoards grain, he affects the market and people get hurt. Prices skyrocket. Supply drops. He multiplies power and multiplies wealth and everybody else suffers. One of the things that we have to understand is that wealth brings responsibility because wealth brings power. We have to be careful individually. We have to be careful corporately as a nation that is wealth, that we use our wealth responsibly. We're not to use our wealth to take advantage of others. Proverbs 22, verse 2 says, Rich and poor have this in common. The Lord is maker of them all. All of us have the same Creator. I could go to lots of Scriptures for this, but here's just one more proverb. Proverbs 14, verse 31. Whoever oppresses a poor man insults his Maker, but he who is generous to the needy honors him. That's God. 
See, we have a responsibility if we have wealth. We have a responsibility to not use that in a way that takes advantage of those who have less wealth and less power than us. We are to be responsible with what we have. So my wealthy brothers and sisters, let's make sure that we rightly handle the obligations of our wealth. Let's maximize our opportunities to give. And let's not put our hope and our value on riches. Someone once said, if you want to feel rich, count the things that money can't buy. Very quickly, let me just show you a few of the things that Proverbs says that money cannot buy that are worth much more than riches. A few of the things that are worth more than riches. One of them is wisdom. For the gain from her wisdom is better than gain from silver and her profit better than gold. We saw that in our first study. Another thing that's better than money, Proverbs 31, a good wife. Much better than, he says, an excellent wife who can find she is far more precious than jewels. A peaceful home is better than riches. Proverbs 17.1, better a dry crust than with peace and quiet than a house full of feasting with strife. And better that our only meal we go home is a little dry crust of moldy bread than to go home and have a big feast where all people do is fight. If you've ever been in a house of strife, you understand how true that is. Righteousness is worth more than riches. Integrity, righteousness. We saw that last week. Proverbs 28, verse 6. Better is a poor man who walks in his integrity than a rich man who is crooked in his ways. Far better to be righteous and poor than rich and crooked. Proverbs 22.1 says that a good reputation, a good name is more desirable than riches. To be esteemed is better than silver and gold. Proverbs 15.16 says that better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble with it. A relationship with God, the fear of the Lord, he says, is worth more than all the money. We've noted that that's one of the great aims of this book. It's not just to give us wisdom that helps us to have a better life to help us live happier and healthier and longer. That's not the big point of this book, but the point is to point us to the greatest treasure, which is, we saw in Proverbs 2.5, to find the knowledge of God. To have an intimate relationship with Him. Proverbs 30 contains sayings from a guy named Agur. If you look at the, the inscription at the top, whom the early rabbis and the church fathers believed was just another name for Solomon. It could be another author, however, of whom we know nothing. But Proverbs 30 has a most marvelous prayer in verses 7 to 9. Let's look at it. Two things I ask of you. Deny them not to me before I die. 
First, remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny You and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. See, He says, two things I want. First, remove falsehood and lying from me. Make me a person of integrity. Help me to be a righteous person. Second prayer request. Give me just what I need for today. Don't give me poverty. Don't give me riches. Just what I need right now. I don't know if I'm ready to pray that prayer, by the way. Just what I need today. Nothing more. Nothing less. I'd like a little more, I have to say, than just what I absolutely need today. So I'm not sure I'm ready to pray that prayer exactly. Just being honest. If you are, you're much more spiritual than me. But what about the spirit of the prayer? Which simply says, Lord, I get it. If I have too little, if I don't have what I need, I might be tempted to do something desperate and steal something. In that case, I'd dishonor Your name. So Lord, provide what I absolutely need. But Lord, the greatest treasure is knowing You. Don't let me have so much that my stuff gets in the way of that. Don't let me have so much stuff that I, I forget You because I'm, I'm in love with the stuff. And so I deny You. I just say, God, who? <laughs> it is so easy for us to do that as rich people. We tend to fall in love with our stuff. And our stuff begins to crowd out our relationship with God. Does it not? Even when we don't want it to. Because we get so busy, you know, I mean, for one thing, all the stuff takes maintenance. <laughs> we gotta mow the grass, we gotta wash the car, we gotta clean the car, we gotta fix the car, we gotta, we have to pay the bills, and so we have to work to pay the bills and all the stuff, and so we spend more time at work paying the bills, and then we, we enjoy our stuff, and we deserve a break, so we, we pile, you know, we we do stuff and, and then we got to play with our stuff and that takes time and and we crowd God out because we got so much stuff and I think folks that is one of the big reasons why this country has become more godless over the last century in direct proportion to our richness. It's a lesson there for us. I think this prayer, while I'm not ready to pray, give me only what I need for this day, I do see that needs to be and is the desire of my heart. Lord, don't let my stuff get in the way of You. Father, we needed to hear this as rich people today. Because our tendency is to focus on the stuff. You bless us with the stuff. Every single thing we have is a gift from You. May we see that. May we understand that. And may the wealth, instead of, instead of getting in the way of the relationship, Lord, may 
simply our wealth be that which points us back to You in praise. Lord God, thank You. As we thank You for what we have, as we enjoy it, that we honor You as we enjoy it, and that we live as good stewards who use what we have responsibly and we take the opportunity to give and we give tremendously. And we don't put our hope and our value in the stuff. But we put our hope and our value and our trust in You and You alone. Lord, help us to live well, to live skillfully, to live with wisdom as rich people. In Jesus' name and for His honor we ask.